Good morning, Grace. Still barely morning. Hey, if you're new with us, you know, uh, we're in a series we're titling Wise Up. And we're looking at two very uh, important topics in the lives of, of people and singles and, and couples. Uh, one is sex and the other is money and how that affects our relationships. And we've been doing this through uh, the wisdom books in the Old Testament, which are a compilation of books that really deal with practical aspects of living. Uh, what it takes to live rightly and to have the discipline to do what is right. And God's given us all kinds of great guidance in these books on how to live on this earth. And we're looking at those for these particular topics. And we've been going through a book called The Song of Solomon, which is a whole book dedicated to sexual and romantic love uh, between a husband and wife. And so we've been looking at the principles through this passage and through this whole song that's written. And today we're going to look at the final uh, chapter of it uh, as we kind of summarize it and see how we go forward. And today's message is about leaving a legacy of love. And we're going to see as this couple, and we've watched them court, we've watched them date, get married, uh, grow in their marriage, have conflict, resolve that conflict, deepen in their love, uh, freshen their love. And now we're going to see uh, kind of the latter part is they're seeing what's our future going to hold for us and what's it going to look like going forward and leave us with some really key principles today to do so. But before we jump into that, I just want to say that we all come uh, with a whole variety of history in our past in this issue. I recognize that both personally, I recognize it with people I've ministered to in our church, with the community we live in, and the sexual uh, sins that are so prominent in our city, that we come with deep hurts and pains and challenges that may seem almost insurmountable. And we're going to watch today is this couple shares with us some principles that no matter where you are at today, whatever your past may be, there's people that come from broken families on both sides of the marriage. There's people who are, are in broken marriages themselves. Maybe you've had multiple marriages and they have a, 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 a history of pain. There are singles that have a, a pattern of unhealthy relationships. You might have all the garbage you could imagine in your past. But that doesn't preclude you from leaving a legacy in the future that's different than your past. And even maybe your present. You might be here today and you're in the midst of a situation you wish you weren't. And you're struggling and you're wondering, where are you, God? How, how do I get out of this? How do I go forward? I want to share with you today three key principles that this couple's going to share with us, that God's going to share with us through this couple's relationship that can prepare you and allow you, no matter what your past, no matter what your present, to leave a legacy of love for your family line. One is a past reflection. It's been able to take some time, like they're gonna to do in this song, this last little bit, and just reflect on your past, beyond even yourself a little bit. The second is a present commitment. A present commitment they're going to make is a, a deepen in their relationship and their commitment to one another, even at this point in their marriage. And the final one is a future preparation. A past reflection, a present commitment, 
and a future preparation. You're going to see those in today's message. And if you'll embrace these, if you'll put these into practice, and most important, if you'll trust the one who modeled them perfectly for us, then no matter what your past, no matter what your present, you have the opportunity to have a future legacy in this particular area that's maybe different than what you've had. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into this passage and see the awesome things that are here for us today. Father God, I'm so thankful for the journey that you have brought us on uh, through this book and for the beautiful truths that you have revealed to us and being a loving father who spoke honestly and directly with us. Lord, I'm just so grateful for the things you're doing in the life of this church and the the things, the conversations that are taking place in our small groups over the last few months and just the things I've been hearing about of all different groups, whether they're couples groups or singles groups or men's groups or women's groups. Lord, the courage that our small group leaders have had to just be honest and to be open about this topic and to let your word and your principles speak for itself and let your Holy Spirit do the work that he needs to do in all of our lives um, just is a testament to the things you're doing in the lives of people in this church. Lord, we want to be a place where people can talk about the real issues of life and we can hear what you have to say about them. So Lord, my prayer would be that no matter where an individual is today, no matter where a couple might be today, that you would speak to them, not about their past, not about even where they might be presently, but you would show them a picture, a vision of what their future might be if they would trust you in this area. Yes, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 5 to the end of the chapter we're going to look at today. We want to see three things. We're actually going to see four because we're going to see them putting them into practice. But one of them is a past reflection. Second is a present commitment. And then thirdly is a future preparation. So let's dive in and look at the first uh, past reflection. The song starts in verse 5, and it says, as the chorus is speaking out in this part of it, that's kind of this imaginary chorus in the, in the song, it says, who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? So it's asking the question, who is this? It's Shulamite, you know, as she's walking with her husband, leaning on her, it says. And then Sh- Solomon speaks, and he says this little poetic statement. It says, under the apple tree, I awakened you. So this is Solomon speaking to Shulamite. It says, under the apple tree, I awakened you. Now, the apple tree in Israel uh, was a symbolic of romantic sexual love. That was typical in their time. The fig tree, if you've heard about the fig tree, was reflective of spiritual reflection. Okay, the apple tree was more of the romantic sexual love. So what he's saying is that under the apple tree, under this idea of sexuality, I awakened you. Meaning Solomon was the one that in her life awakened this aspect of their relationship, the two of them together as they went through it. And he's going to go on to reflect. He says, there, uh, your mother, meaning under the apple tree, your mother was in labor with you. There, she who bore you was in labor. So he's saying, hey, under this romantic sexual love uh, umbrella is where our love was awakened for each other. And it was there in which your mother bore you. 
meaning the result of your mom's awakening in that area led to you being here. He's reflecting about a little bit of the, the history in his own life and in their life. And so here's our first point. If we want to leave a legacy, like they want to leave a legacy, is if I prepare to leave a legacy of love when I consider the legacy of my past. What they're doing here is what we should do, is, is considering that every single one of us, think about this, is the product of the sexual love of some other two people. Every single one of us is. There's no exception to that. They're reflecting about their relationship in this area, and they're reflecting back on their parents, saying, hey, it was their sexual love that was the result of one of us, or really both of us, but they're just poetically talking about one of them. Uh, so here's my question for us. How is your past legacy of sexual love helped or hurt you? When we look at our past, we need to reflect about it. We need to ask some questions and just ponder, say, how is that in your life helped you or hurt you? And then the follow-up question to that is, do you want to repeat that or change it? You see, because some of us, we are upset about our past. This is what's ironic about all of us as fallen, broken sinners. We hate the fact that our parents were this way or they're sexually promiscuous or they were, you know, drunkards or they did all these things. And what do we end up doing ourselves? To try to run from that, we bury ourselves in the exact same things. The very things that we hated about our past, we end up doing ourselves and we're doomed to that if we don't pause to embrace God's different path for us for our future. And this couple was reflecting on that. Let me ask you this, what kind of sexual love do you want your children or future children to reflect on as the origin of their existence? Have you ever thought about that? As, as we engage on a path of sexuality in our lives today, do we ever stop to think, what does this look like for my future? When my kids look back, just like Solomon and Shulamite are, when they reflect back on their parents, is what I'm doing now, is what I'm engaging in right now, what I want them to reflect on? You see, every one of us here bears the scars of a painful sexual history from our earthly family. However, as Christians, you're adopted into a new family, and your history is now that of Jesus Christ's history. Your past is now his past because he lived a life of purity for you and for me so that no longer do we need to be enslaved to the history of this earthly family that we were born into. No longer can we use that same excuse saying, well, my parents were this way or I was treated this way. And those are real things that have to be reflected on. But if you want to continue to live according to your past, then what you have done is you have chosen to make your past and your earthly family a God in your life that has absolute control over your present and future behavior. That's not right if we're children of God. It doesn't mean it's gonna go away the moment you trust Jesus Christ, but now you need to reflect back on what his past was for you so that your present and your future can begin to be based on his past rather than your family past. That's the first thing is consider or reflect on my past. 
uh, my legacy of my past. The second thing we're going to see is a present commitment. Look at what Shulamite now says to Solomon after he makes this statement. He says, or she says to him, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. If you know anything about uh, this time period, you know that kings had seals that they marked or signed things, things or stamped them with, and they, they represented ownership. That seal represented anything stamped with the king's seal was owned by him. And she's saying, set me as a seal upon your heart and on your arm. She's saying, I want ownership. I want to be the one who owns your heart and the one who owns your arm or your strength, symbolic of his strength. I want your heart and your strength to be for me and me alone, in a sense. She's asking for this ongoing commitment as we should in our marriages. And then she says, why? She says, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So what is she saying here? And what is she asking for? First of all, she's saying, I'm making a commitment, and it's recommitting to my spouse. I prepare to leave a legacy of love when I commit to love my spouse with all my heart and strength. She's asking for that. Set me as a seal upon your heart, upon your arm. It's that idea of ownership we talked about that we see throughout the scriptures that when we get married, we enter into a unique relationship with our spouse. One that's, it's in a sense, transferring ownership of who we are over to them in a unique way that we don't do with anyone else. That covenant of marriage is to reflect our covenant with God, the greater covenant that says ultimately he owns us. We give ourselves to you, God. You purchased us, you created us, and then you bought us back even after our rebellion. And we do a very similar thing as we love our spouse the way Christ loves us. And she's bringing that to light and she's talking about the power of love and its fierceness and its unquenchability, and she uses some ideas that are, are difficult for us. She said it's jealous. It's, it's as jealous, or as, jealousy is as fierce as the grave, and I want to just touch on some images of how this kind of love in a, in a marriage reflects God's love for us. Look at what the Bible says about God using this idea of jealousy that we often see as a negative term, and it can be negative. It is negative at times, but God said this to the Israelites. He said, for you, Israel shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God calls one of his own names Jealous. It's a righteous jealousy. We'll talk about what that looks like in a minute, but he uses that term, and she's using it in much the same way about this kind of love. It's a jealous love that's as fierce as the grave. Deuteronomy 4 God said the following, he said, Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord, your God, which he made with you, meaning his covenant with the Israelite people, and make a carved image in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God is calling his people to purity in their relationship. We've made a covenant with one another. I am your God and you are my people. And when they started worshiping other gods, God says, don't do that. 
Why? Because I am a jealous God, a righteous jealousy for what rightly belongs to me and vice versa. That's the kind of jealousy he's talking about. James says it this way, when God says this, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he, God, yearns jealously over the spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, that he is made to dwell in us. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we become a child of God, God, the Bible says God seals us with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 says that. He seals us. It's a deposit, an escrow payment in us that says we belong to him. We are his, period. And what this passage is saying is that when we start living like we belong to something else, when we start loving the things of this world or other gods or whatever it is that we put before God, we act like adulterers in a sense because we are in a marriage covenant with God. And God says, I am jealous for that spirit that I put in you and sealed you with that rightly belongs to me when we wander away. And and she's using the same kind of language of how fierce love is. And it closes with this. If a man offered for love, she says, all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. What she's saying is this kind of love cannot be bought. You can't buy this love. It must be given freely and unconditionally. That's why you choose to enter into that kind of covenant. No one's forced to do so. You see, this kind of love, this kind of delightful and dangerous gift all at once must be handled with care. And you won't survive it alone, people. Whether you're single or you're married, you need a God first off because he's the only one that can teach us truly about this love, but you also need a community around you to best handle it. You need a church. You need a small group of people walking with you to handle something so delicate, so delightful, and so dangerous. You need books that you can read about your marriage or about dating. You need to engage in those things and exhaust every resource available to you if you are going to walk down this path well. You need ministries like Reengage, our ministry that's a whole semester about teaching you basic principles of marriage and how to reconnect with your spouse, investing in your marriage on a regular basis and treating it with the delicacy and importance that it needs. These conferences that we offer, books that you read on marriage, whatever is out there, be one who prioritizes that you're not going to survive it on your own. Commit to it and commit to loving your spouse or your future spouse accordingly. The third commitment we see is is prepare a commitment to the future to prepare 
a commitment to prepare. So we've seen a, a reflection on the past, a commitment in the present, and a future preparation. And so we go on here, and in this part of the song, uh, it's her brothers are speaking, Shulamite's brothers are speaking, they're, they're back in her hometown, and she's, they say this. If you remember, she was forced to work in the vineyard when she was a young girl. We see that in the first chapter. Now it's coming back to a younger sister that she has, and the, the brothers are saying, hey, we have a little sister, and she has no breasts. That, that's just is poetic for saying she's young. She hasn't gone through puberty yet. Okay, ladies, explain that to the guys, all right? They're kind of going, what's up with this, man? That's what they're saying. She's a young girl. And they're asking, what shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? Meaning, what shall we do, in a sense, to, to, to prepare her for the day when someone's coming to ask for her hand in marriage? So she's a young girl, you know, now, but what should we do to prepare her for the day when someone comes to ask for her hand? And, and then they answer it in a sense, too. It says, if she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. What they're saying here is, is they're using two different images for the type of girl that she is. If she's a wall, meaning if she's is a, a girl of purity and integrity that, that keeps out any intruders from herself physically, then it says, we're going to bless her. We're going to build on her a battlement of silver, which they would have done on a wall that was for protection. They're using that image. They would have decorated it with the silver and treasures of that city, and it would have been a blessing in a sense and demonstrated the beauty of that city and the strength of that city. And they're saying, if, if that's the type of daughter you have, then you, you bless her as she walks out and steps into that phase. But if she is a door, it says... We will enclose her with boards of cedar. It means you ground her to her room until she's 22, I think is what that means in the Hebrew. What they're saying is that they're going to protect her. These brothers loved her that much that if she wasn't willing to protect herself, they were going to do it for her. So here's your future preparation. If, if I prepare to leave a legacy of love when I properly prepare and protect the next generation. I properly prepare and protect the next generation. Let me just speak to both sides of this a little bit right now. So let me talk to singles right now. If there's any single people out there that you're going, okay, this is about the parents. It's not about the parents only. It's about you as well. Let me just share a picture for you that I've shared many, many times, and I think it's one of the most powerful images to help you think about your future in this area. Why you want to be a wall, why you want to protect that purity, and why it's such a gift. I've asked this question to a number of different audiences, some in which there wasn't a Christian in the whole audience, and I've never gotten anything but the same answer every time I've asked it. When you stand on your wedding day, at the altar, and you're there with your future spouse, and there's maybe 50, 100, 200, 500 people there surrounding you, celebrating with you, I, I want to know how many people in that audience attending there, or outside or anywhere for that matter, do you want to have kissed, touched, or slept with your spouse? How many? You know, even from the worst of pagans, the most sexually immoral person you could talk to, when you bring them to that moment, 
even they've answered it the same way. Zero. You want that person to have kept themselves for you alone. And any person that's been married that has a sexual past knows how much harm that often brings into the marriage and the issues you have to deal with because of it. My challenge to you as a single is become the man or woman that you want your spouse to be for you. You'll be a blessing. They'll be a blessing. You will bring a gift to them that only you can bring to them when you make that commitment. For parents, let me talk to you for a minute. Stop being ruled by your kid's emotional response or rejection of your leadership in the family. Be the parent. Just like these brothers were willing to have the courage to do what was best for their sister, even if their sister didn't like it, they loved her that much that they were willing to be rejected in that moment to offer her a gift that even she wasn't wise enough to understand at that moment. Proverbs 29, 15 says this to us parents. It says, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Those were symbols of discipline and, and reproof in, in their lives. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother and his father. It's just being poetic. What this means is, is if you wanna be your kid's friend and just leave them to themselves, I don't wanna get into it, they're just gonna get upset, guess what? They will bring shame. You may have a false peace in your home, but they will bring shame to your family. And you'll be responsible for that, partly because you allowed it. I'm challenging you as parents to speak out to them and engage in them. Understand that having these hard conversations and setting up healthy boundaries is no guarantee that your kids won't blow it or rebel. The Bible never says that. If you do this, your kids will never rebel. You'll never have any problems. It doesn't say that. Nor does it say that that's the goal. Many of us shy away because we're afraid they're going to rebel if we confront them. Guess what? That's their responsibility. That's their heart. God shared his heart with us in his word. What did we do? We rebelled. He didn't say, you know what, I'm not even going to share the Bible with them. Once they read what I ask for them of sex, I mean, they're going to get upset and they're just going to throw it away and do their own thing. No, he continued to be God because he would not deny himself. And he's called you and me as parents to do the same thing. Doing so and doing nothing will guarantee that they'll blow it speaking into their lives, at least lets them know where you stand on it and gives them a picture of what they need. But if you say nothing and you let them be, then not only will they blow it and make mistakes like we all did when our parents didn't say anything to us, but now you stand as an accomplice to their sin. Let me just paint a picture for you of this because I, I want you to understand that the measure of your parenting is not the success or apparent success of your kids. That's not the measure of your parenting. The measure of your parenting is the faithfulness of you to fulfill the calling that God has given you as a parent. And I'm not saying you become some dictatorial, lay down the law, don't have any relationship with them, and just boatload them with rules. That's not what I'm talking about here. 
I'm talking about a family or a parent that says, I'm going to have a relationship with you, I'm going to pursue you, but I'm also going to lay some rules down, if necessary, that are for your own good, and I'm okay if you get upset at me about it. And here's why. I want you to pick, picture something with me for a minute, parents, okay? Just, just fast forward a little bit, several years. Wherever your kids are, you can, you can do the number. Fast forward to your kid's wedding day. I want you to picture your daughter, if you have a daughter, standing at the altar, getting ready to offer herself to her future husband. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that wedding, she stops the pastor and turns and looks at her parents right in the eye with tears in her eyes and says, Mom, Dad, thank you so much for having the courage to protect me in those years when I wanted to do what everyone else was doing. And if you would have let me, I would have wandered and I would have gotten involved in the exact same things that every other kid around me was doing. But you set boundaries for me even when I resisted, even when I rebelled, even when I pushed against them. You were steady and you loved me to this point. And now, mom and dad, I'm here as a woman pure before God, to offer myself to my husband with a joy that far exceeds any pain I ever experienced. I guarantee you, parents, at that moment, every difficult conversation will melt away. Imagine your son in the same way, at that ceremony, stopping the pastor and turning to you and saying, Dad, Mom, thank you for, for setting some boundaries for me. Thank you for wanting to know where I was at. Thank you for being involved in my life so that I didn't wander into places that would have just got me into harm. Thank you that I can now offer to my wife a safe place, a pure place, a protected place for her to be safe and enjoying the sexual gift that God's given her, and we can do that together because I would have wandered if I had not had your protection in my life. How would you feel at that moment about the difficult conversations you had with your son or daughter during that season? Totally different. Church, we have to hand down to our kids something different than what was given to us we ever expect to leave a legacy that God wants us to leave. Let's see how this couple ended their lives, or at least this season that's written about in this song. We see this last little section that says, this Shulamite is now speaking, and she says, I was a wall. So she's talking about her purity. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Not really. You know, every guy's going, wow, I wish I had married her. But he's just saying, she's no longer a young child. Okay, it's metaphorical. It's, she was a woman. She said, I was pure to the point where I was ready to be married. And she says, and I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. And then she goes on to say, Solomon had a vineyard at Bahal Hamon. He let out the vineyard. He leased it out is what that means. He leased out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me, and you, O Solomon, may have the thousand, and the keepers of the fruit, 
200. She, she's using a metaphor that would have made sense to them back then. And, and she's talking about how Solomon owned these vineyards and she happened to be one who worked in it. The vineyard she had to work in early in her life was owned by Solomon. Her brothers were the ones that were leasing it out. And in their time and age, what would happen is if you owned the vineyard, the whoever was working it and whoever was planting it, they had to pay you a thousand pieces of silver because you were using their vineyard. But you as the keepers were allowed to keep 200 pieces of silver from your profit. So what she's doing is she's using this picture of the vineyards and how they operated to then turn it around on herself and she says, but my vineyard, and in this whole book, her vineyard referred to her body and her ability to offer herself to her husband. She says, but my vineyard now, I'm gonna give you, Solomon, the thousand pieces of silver. And I'm gonna keep the 200. You see what she's saying? She's saying, this vineyard, now my vineyard, it's mine to give, I'm giving it to you. And you'll be like the owner of it, and I'll be like the one who just takes care of it. She's reiterating what we've seen before, how in marriage we give ourselves to one another. And then he speaks to her, comes back to her and says, oh, you who dwell in the gardens with companions, listening to your voice, let me hear it. He again wants her to himself. She dwells in the gardens. All these girls listen to her because of her character. But he says, I want you all to myself. Let me hear your voice, just you and me. And she responds back to him, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. You see in their relationship that they're practicing these principles and growing in them. And I prepare to leave a legacy of love when I personally obey God's principles for sexual love. Parents, couples, you lose the ground to pass these principles down to your kids when you won't practice them yourself. But when your kids see you prioritizing your marriage, when they see you growing in your marriage, even many years into it, and then you talk to them about the purity of love and the beauty of love and the beauty of marriage, you do two things. You paint a picture for them, but you also live a picture for them. You see, if we've allowed our marriage to just fall by the wayside, and become routine as it is, why would our kids want that? Many of us have parents who stayed together, but some of us probably go, maybe it would have been better if they didn't. I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I think you know what I'm talking about. They didn't prioritize that relationship for the long haul. But give your kids a marriage where they see a couple that truly pursues each other till death do them part. And you lay a foundation for a legacy in your family to follow that same path. You know, ironically, leaving a legacy is about preparing a future that is better than our past. And it's easy to get discouraged and to want to quit when we think about our past or, or maybe even our present failures. Some of you might be in a spot right now when you're thinking, I have no hope of leaving a future legacy. Chad, if you only knew where I was at personally right now or where my single life was at or my marriage life was at right now, how could I possibly think of, of even beginning to live these out? You see, this book that Solomon wrote is no doubt one of the most profound 
and practical books on this subject. However, as profound as this book is and as wise as its author was, even he failed greatly to live out these principles. In fact, history records and even Solomon's own testimony speaks of his failure to live according to these principles his whole life. 1 Kings 11, you can read about it, says Solomon loved many foreign women and he acquired for himself 700 wives and 300 concubines after this time. And as he fell away from this, he lost sight of the legacy that he desired to leave. In fact, God even spoke to him in that passage and said, because of it, I will take the kingdom from your hand and give it to your servant. Not only did it affect him personally, but it affected his future family line for generations upon generation. And I'm so glad that, that my future is not dependent on Solomon or not even on the book that he wrote because he blew it just like you and I did. But church, God sent another Solomon, a greater Solomon, a truer Solomon, a king who never walked away from these principles that Solomon wrote about. Because a thousand years after Solomon's life, a truer and greater Solomon was born. And his name is Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came and lived a perfectly pure life. He embodied every one of these principles that we see. He never blew at once in either thought or in deed. Yet, his purpose wasn't just to give or live a perfectly wise and pure life. I mean, he'd already done that in heaven from all eternity past. He wasn't some you know, NFL star that said, hey, I'm just gonna take a week off and go to some local high school and show off in front of all them just because I can. That's not what Jesus was doing when he came. He came with a very specific and unique purpose. He came so that you and me could have a past that we didn't deserve so that you and me could have a future that our past performance could never purchase. Jesus came and lived the only perfectly pure life this earth has ever known. And instead of dying and receiving the reward of one who is perfectly pure, he died like a sexual deviant nailed on the cross publicly in front of everyone to see. And he did so so that your deviancy and my deviancy in this area could be paid for once and for all. And we could go forward with the hope of a future that we could never have earned on our own. You say, well, Chad, how, how can I get this future? There's only one way. It's through him. It's not through Solomon. It's not through perfectly obeying these truths because you won't do that. It's through trusting in the one who did that for you. See, until you recognize that your past will never purchase for you this perfect future, you're not ready to see it. Until you recognize that Jesus came to live that purity for you and he died on that cross to pay for the the 
the punishment that your sin and your sexual deviancy deserves, you will never receive it. But when you trust that he did that for you, and you trust that his life is now credited to your life, you now can begin at this present time to leave a future legacy that you could never have done on your own. That's what it means to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that he paid your debt for you, and he offered to you a past and a future that you could have never earned. So here's what I want to ask you to do today. As we close out this part of the series, in your worship guide, there's a little card that looks like this. It says on one side, my legacy of love covenant, and it says single. So if you're single or divorced, you're not in a relationship right now, uh, you sign that side of it or look on that side. And on the other side, it says my legacy of love covenant, married. Okay, this is what this says in a nutshell. There's five commitments that I want you to consider because of what Jesus has done for you and and you offer yourself to him. And if you're on the single side, it says this, I dedicate myself to God first, knowing that his love for me is the basis of my ability and willingness to love the future spouse he may provide. The other side is the same thing, only for your current spouse. My second commitment is I commit myself to loving my future spouse or my current spouse with all my heart and strength by keeping myself sexually pure for my future spouse and preparing myself for a healthy marriage. The third one, the same for each of you. I commit to exhausting every resource available to me in order to protect and prepare myself for a healthy future or current marriage. I commit to prioritizing and pursuing healthy boundaries and principles in how I interact with the opposite sex so as not to harm myself or them prior to marriage. If you're married, you commit to prioritizing and pursuing a vibrant, healthy sexual love with your spouse and guarding against any unhealthy, harmful expressions of this love. And then lastly, I commit to courageous, honest, and loving conversations with my kids and the next generation to help them understand what God desires for them and what I have learned in this area. And for singles, that you'll have those conversations as well. So here's what we're going to do as we close our service today and our worship team sings a song. I just want you to pause and pray and and have a, a short conversation with God and say, God, I want to leave a legacy of love for my future. If you need a pen, sorry, if you need one of these cards, just raise your hand. We have some more in the back if you didn't get one in your worship guide and the ushers will get one for you. But have that conversation with God right now and say, God, I won't be perfect, but this is my pursuit. And Jesus, as I press into you, I pray that you will impress on me the purity of your past and the hope of the future that you offer me in your perfect life. And if you want to sign that and make that commitment, then go ahead and sign it. And you can bring it up here and lay it on the stage, lay it on the steps, lay it on the floor up here, whatever you want to do. And let that be a sign of your commitment to God and your desire to experience from him the legacy that he has for you in this area.